Today's scripture reading comes from Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had just heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. This is the word of God. <clears throat> we're going to close out the series, and it's, uh, it's actually the closure of the entire series since the summer. And so uh, we've been looking uh, the last several weeks at the people who've been surrounding the birth of Christ, Jesus Christ at the time of his birth. And each of the narratives that we've been looking at uh, they start out the same way. There's an angel, there's news, there's fear, because we've been saying that whenever Jesus Christ comes near to your life, whenever he comes close in your life, there's usually suffering. You experience hardship and trouble, but in each and every one of these cases, the angel says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And today, we're going to be looking at the shepherds, the shepherds and Mary and, and Joseph, it's really the climax of all these narratives as it comes together. This is Christmas. This is the first Christmas. They're literally experiencing the birth of Christ, Jesus Christ, the gift of Jesus. What is the gift? What is the gift of Christmas? There are three things. One, we're going to receive true joy. Two, real kingliness. Lastly, ultimate power to have both. Real joy Real kingliness, the power to have both. First, we're going to be looking at joy, true joy. Verse 8, there were shepherds. There were these shepherds. And they were taking care of their sheep at night when all of a sudden this angel appears and God's Shekinah glory envelops them, surrounds them. And rightly so, they're terrified. But in verse 10, the angel says, do not be afraid. Why? Why not be afraid? Because I bring you good news of great joy for all the people. What's the news? What's the news? Verse 11, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Now, this is remarkable for several reasons. One, the shepherds. The shepherds, shepherds were low-brow. They were very low on the socioeconomic ladder. They were considered crude, considered very harsh in some cases. But here, they're the ones that are experiencing the presence of God, the Shekinah glory of God, the royal presence of God. Now, what does that mean? Who did Jesus come to save? 
Did he come to save kings? Did he come to save scholars? Did he come to save those who were capable? No. God chose to save the low. God chose to save the weak, the powerless, the inadequate. In fact, he saves us through the low, the weak, the powerless, and inadequate. inadequate. And what that means is the only prerequisite that we have to being saved is what? You got to be low. You got to be weak. You got to be powerless. You have to be inadequate. You have to admit to God that you are these things, that you are a sinner. That's what it takes. That's the prerequisite. There has to be some terror, some fear, before you hear those great words, do not be afraid. Now, by the way, in every society, somebody, in every society, somebody is in and somebody is out. That's society. Usually, the wealthy are in, the poor are out. Usually, the educated are in and the uneducated are out. Usually, the pedigreed are in, those who came from bad families uh, without status, they're the ones who are out. The good-looking are usually in, the ugly, the unattractive, they're out. But the good news, the good news is this. The angel, God's word comes to these shepherds. Does it it come to the wealthy? Does it come to the educated, those with high status, the good-looking? No. He came to shepherds, the low. The gospel says the humble are in and the proud are out. Now, the second reason why this is remarkable is that If you go all the way back to the Old Testament in Exodus, in the Old Testament, God's glory, God's God's glory presence, the Shekinah glory, he came down on Mount Sinai in the book of Exodus. And this is in the time of Moses. And the author of Hebrews, he notes that even Moses, as he saw the Shekinah glory of God descending onto Sinai, he trembled. He says, I'm trembling with fear. That's what he said. Why? Because glory, you know what glory is? Glory means weightiness. Glory means beauty. Glory means significance and power and purity. And God's people knew that God's glory, his weight is so weighty. His beauty is so brilliant. His significance is so significant. His power is so powerful. His purity is so pure that if he came upon you, that weightiness, that brilliance, that beauty, that power, that presence, it would just utterly crush you. It would destroy you. Why? Because we are so unweighty. We are so unattractive. We are so insignificant and small. We are so powerless and weak. We are so impure and sinful. You see, On one hand, we want God's glory. That's why we need God's glory. We need his presence because he's so beautiful, so brilliant, and so powerful. But on the other hand, if he were to come close, we can't stand to be near because that power, that weight, that beauty would crush us. Rudolf Otto, a famous German philosopher, uh, he wrote uh, his seminal piece of work was called The Idea of the Holy. And uh, what he says in this book, basically the entire book boils down to this. Whenever you encounter something that is utterly beautiful, something that is utterly glorious, utterly great, when you're in the presence of true greatness, 
There is this coexistence, Rudolf Otto says, there's this coexistence between what he calls fascinosum and tremendum. Fascination and terror. Something beautiful comes into your life. You want to get close to that person. You want, you're attracted to that person. But when that person comes near you, initially there's this fear, there's this dread. Why? Why? It's because that glory, that beauty, that power, that, that, that beauty, that brilliance is coming down into your inadequacies, into your, just draws out all of your insecurity. That's why you get nervous. That's why you, get dread, you just feel dread. That beauty is coming down into your flaws. And so there's this kind of the sense of coming undone when that beauty comes near. And if that's how we are with one another, if that's how we are with finite beings towards one another, how much more, how much more dread, how much more terror when ultimate beauty and ultimate brilliance and ultimate glory comes down and descends on us. This all-powerful holy God. Imagine what it's like to be in that presence. And so these shepherds, that's what they're experiencing. These shepherds, this lowbrow, low on the socioeconomic uh, ladder, these crude and harsh people kind of disregarded in society, the royal presence of God descends, and they're terrified. They got the presence. They got the glory of God. And that word glory, uh, the Hebrew word, also translated in the Greek, very similar is the word kavod, kavod. In the Old Testament, in 1 Samuel, there's this one narrative where the glory of God, because of the sinfulness of Israel, the glory of God literally lifts up and dis- departs, departs from the tabernacle, departs from God's people. And you have Phineas, he's this evil priest. His wife is up giving birth at that exact moment. And just before she gives birth, she sees the glory of God departing from his people. And so she names her child Ichabod, in Hebrew, Ikavod, no glory. The glory has departed, and she dies. We need this beauty in our lives. We want this beauty. We seek it. It's why we seek it in so many other places. It's why other forms of beauty and brilliance, it never is fully satisfied. We want this glory. We need this glory. We're seeking after this glory in so many other places. We're looking for God's glory. It's why nothing else satisfies. That's why. But when this glory comes near, that weight is so heavy, that purity so powerful, that beauty, so beautiful, it will crush us all. And the shepherds, they're terrified. But the angel says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And he gives them the gospel. He says, I bring you great news, good news, with great joy. Why good news? Do you feel guilty? Are you at times in shame? Are you often in times sensing and feeling inadequate? Are you oftentimes unlovable? Do you feel unlovable? The good news is you have a Savior. Verse 11, he is Messiah, the one we've been waiting for, the one we've been seeking after. He is the Lord. He is the King. In other words, this beauty, this glory, this brilliance has become a child. This power, this amazing glory has become a baby. And he's born. 
He's become finite. The infinite has become finite for you. He's been born to you. What that means is Jesus has become weak for the weak. He's become helpless for the helpless. He's become vulnerable for the vulnerable. Why is there a great joy? You know, religion, there's great joy because religion says this. I have to work hard. I have to prove myself on the outside in order to what? To feel worthy, to feel good on the inside. That's how I get the glory. That's how I feel beautiful. But you see, if you live like that, you'll never experience joy. There'll never be a song. You know, the angels are singing in this passage. The shepherds, when they get to Mary, they're rejoicing. There's a song. There will never be song. You will never experience joy in your life. If you believe the only way to get glory, the only way to feel beautiful on the inside is by working hard and trying to get the acceptance of others. There's always going to be anxiety in your life. There will always be anger because there's this tremendous dependence on yourself. And you know, deep inside, you know you are inadequate. You are insufficient. And so you're going to rely on your looks. You're going to rely on your abilities. You're constantly going to be living in fear. That's really what it is. That's life. Apart from the gospel, life is you have every reason to be afraid. Why? Because you're constantly wondering, where do I stand with this person? Where do I stand with God? And you're constantly comparing yourself with other people. Why do they get the glory? Why do they get the attention? Why don't I get the attention? In verse 13, the heavenly host appears with the angel. And they're praising God, and they're saying what? They're singing, glory to God, peace on earth. Why is there joy? Why is there singing? The birth of Christ brings a song to us. Why? Because the age-old war. He says, glory to God, peace on earth, the age-old war between God and his people is finally over. And God's favor now rests on his people because the savior the king jesus has come now that means that jesus has paid the price jesus has signed the peace treaty the war is over the gospel says i am more sinful than i could ever imagine but jesus has been born to me jesus became weak for me jesus became sin for me the glory of God came down to me, and it's not based on my works. There's the song. I don't have to work to earn salvation. I don't have to work to earn God's acceptance. I don't, oh, that glory that I'm working for, I don't have to work for it. it is, I receive it. You know, it doesn't take any work to receive a gift. You're all going to be receiving gifts tomorrow. It doesn't take any work to receive. It takes a tremendous amount of work to give. Jesus did all the work. That's why there's a song. And when you realize that the weightiness of God's presence is in your life, not to destroy you, not to crush you, but to make you weighty, that the significance of God did not come down to crush you, but to make you significant, that the beauty of God came down not to make you feel inadequate, but to make you beautiful in you, that's called union, there's joy. There's the song. You will depend less on your need to prove yourself in front of others, this is the end of anxiety. Peace on earth. This is the end of anxiety. This is the end of fear. This is the end of jealousy. This is the end of snobbiness. Christmas, the meaning of Christmas. Christmas is a song. Christmas is praising. Christmas is a rejoicing. Christmas is a rejoicing because of the joy of Christ being born to us. Now, the second point 
This passage is about true kingliness. Verse 12, you will find a baby wrapped in claws in a manger. And so these shepherds, they immediately, they obey. They leave everything behind. In fact, in the ESV, if you read the ESV version of the Bible, it says that they pretty much left everything that they had behind and they hurried, immediately left for Bethlehem. These shepherds, they had this incredible experience, this incredible spiritual experience. But they didn't just walk away with an experience. They validated that experience. They heard the angel, which means they heard God's word, and they obeyed. They obeyed as a part of their validation. I believe. And they knew exactly what to look for because they listened to God's word. They listened to the angel. Up until this point, God's people were looking for a king that would come down on high as mighty, almighty God from a throne. But the angel says, this Savior, this Lord that you're looking for will be what? Will be wrapped in cloths in a manger. In a manger. Now this should shape your view of what greatness is. What does this tell you? Do you want to be great? Do you want power? You want to find glory? Stop looking up and look down. You want kingliness in your life? Stop fighting your way up. Go down. Stop pursuing thrones. Look for a manger. In other words, greatness is not found in human pedigrees, human abilities, but through inability, through weakness, through surrender, through failure. You know, when Jesus died on the cross, Everyone said, you're a failure. Look at that failure. And yet through that ultimate failure, God himself turned his face away from his son. In the midst of that failure, through that failure, salvation became possible for the world. On one hand, you know, we're looking for a king. We're looking for a king with ultimate power, ultimate greatness, and humility. You know why we need both? It, oftentimes, that's what you're looking for in your spouses, right? I mean, if you're really honest with yourselves, you want a spouse that is kingly. You want a spouse that has tremendous beauty and yet tremendously humble. Tremendous greatness and yet tremendously humble. We're looking for that. We all want that. The problem is uh, that kind of beauty, that kind of significance, that kind of power is usually associated with tremendous pride and arrogance, and that kind of humility is usually associated with weakness. They're usually antithetical to each other. It's why proud people are not relatable. It's why humble people are usually not considered great or attractive. It's because they look weak. But true kingliness here, this should define the birth of Jesus in a manger. The high king in a manger should define for us what true kingliness is. Because we need both. We need beauty and humility. We need power and humility. We need greatness, glory, wrapped in cloths, right? Verse 12, this Savior, this King, this Lord is lying in a manger. That means ultimate beauty is in a manger. That means ultimate power is wrapped in these frail cloths in a manger. Ultimate humility, ultimate beauty, ultimate humility. If you look at Jesus Christ at his birth, Christmas, you see everybody adoring him, everybody embracing him. That's access. 
That's access. He accepts you. Let Jesus love you. Because in Jesus, we see the perfect embodiment of true kingliness, perfect power, perfect humility, wrapped in a cloth in a manger so that everybody can see, everybody can approach, everybody has access. You have access to him. And yet he's a king, and he accepts you, and he loves you. This is the end of arrogance, friends. This is the end of a high ego. This is what makes you relatable to others. You want to talk about where true relatable, that relatable character that some people have, where does it come from? It's the end of arrogance. It's the end of our ego because the high king came down to the depths. And if that's who we worship, if that's what he honors, if that's what we're adoring, and that's why we adore him, because he's come down. I mean, we, ha- we must worship him because he's king, but we love to worship him. We adore him. Why? Because he came down. And if you come down, that makes you relatable. That makes you winsome. The king came down. You can come down. If the highest of highs can come down, you can come down. That's going to make you humble. That's going to make you winsome. That's going to make you genuine. Last point is that Christmas is about power. The power to get this joy. The power to get this kingliness. How do you get it? How do you get this kind of joy? How do you get this kind of kingliness? Verse 17 to 18, you have these shepherds. They bring this message from the angel. And the shepherds, they, they bring them. They bring that message to Mary and to Joseph. They basically had this incredible spiritual experience. And they basically come to Mary and they share this message. Verse 19, Mary, what's she doing? She treasures these things in her heart. Everyone is around partying and rejoicing and celebrating. Mary, she's just soaking it in. She's treasuring these things in her heart. That means that she took it all in, everything she heard, everything she experienced, and over the course of her life, from the moment Jesus was born, from the course of her life, she's just processing it, processing it over time. What is she processing? She sees this baby, this high king in a manger. She sees the highest of highs seeking the depths, the lowest of lows. She sees greatness wrapped in cloths, Beauty wrapped in our skin, wrapped in our inadequacy. She sees our helplessness then wrapped in his power, wrapped in his kingliness and love. That's union. One day, this baby that would be wrapped in claws in this borrowed manger will later on as an adult be wrapped in claws once again and placed in a borrowed tomb. Hebrews chapter 1 says Jesus Christ is the exact radiance of, Christ, of God. But on the cross, he cries out. What does he cry out? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? On the cross, what Jesus is saying is in that moment, I've lost the beauty. I'm forsaken. I've lost the beauty, the ultimate beauty. I've lost the brilliance, the ultimate brilliance. I've lost the ultimate significance, the glory that I need, the kavod, which means that on the cross, Jesus Christ became the true ikavod. The glory of God has departed from me and I am forsaken. And now I am experiencing the full wrath of God, the full weight, the full power, the full beauty, the full brilliance of God's wrath. It's coming down on me and it's crushing me and I am being crushed. The glory of God is departing from me. And now we see that the truly infinite has become truly finite. The true beauty has become unbeautiful, unattractive. 
I've become insignificant and forsaken. I've become weak and powerless. I've become impure. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. God, God made him who had no sin to become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We get the beauty. We get the brilliance. We get the significance. We get the weightiness. We get the glory. We get the presence of God. Because Jesus Christ cried out, I'm forsaken. Jesus Christ suffered the wrath of God so that we would experience the beauty of God. Jesus Christ suffered the penalty that we deserved so that we, every day, moment by moment, I'm lost in his love, we get the presence of God. Jesus Christ on the cross said, I am forsaken. That means that I am out. Why? So that we could be in, ultimately in, access. The birth of Christ is all about access. That's the glory that you need, and we have access to it in full. That's the validation that you need. That's why we're looking for glory elsewhere. The gospel of Jesus' birth says we have that validation. The love that we're seeking, the love that we need, we're seeking it in all these other places. That's the glory that we're looking for. This Jesus at his birth, open to all, that's the access and the love that we need. You know, this is the power that can transform you. If you're looking for glory and relying on your own works, first of all, any glory you have will have limits then. It, and those limits are far more limiting as you get older. They're far more limiting than you initially imagined them to be. And so there's fatigue and there's constant anxiety. That's the source of the jealousy. When that, when that means that you're still at war. There's no peace. You're still at war with God. And because you have no joy yourself, you will never be able to bring that joy to others. You're going to be proud and defensive and constantly comparing yourself, driven by friends. I look around. This is a predominantly Asian community. That means that that ego is partly culture. You're brought up with that. That means that desire and that need to save face, you're pretty much brought up with that. It's in you. It's part of your DNA. And so how do you kill the ego? Because if you're looking for it and relying on your own works, you will find limits. And that limits, it becomes a cycle, right? A cycle of brokenness because those limits make you fight harder. You are still at war. You are still at war. And there's never going to be any joy. But if you look to the cross, if you look to the cross, Jesus on the cross says, it is finished. The angels at the birth of Christ say, peace on earth. Now there's peace. That means that Jesus' glory is passing into you. That means that Jesus' beauty is passing into you. That means Jesus' peace is passing into you. That means Jesus' joy is passing into you. Do you know there was never a time when Jesus didn't have joy? What about on the cross? The author of Hebrews says that we should fix our eyes on Jesus, 
who for the joy set before him endured the cross. For the joy, even on the cross, in his suffering, forsaken by God, he still trusted God, and there was joy in his life. That joy is an unshakable joy. That joy is a joy that brings kingliness, because if you have that joy, it doesn't matter what kind of suffering, you can come down, because the high king came down. That's the power to transform. God resides in you. The war is over. That's the end of working to earn acceptance. That's the end of the fatigue, the end of trying, the end of fear and anxiety, the end of manipulation. You know why we manipulate other people? A lot of times manipulation is our way of trying to control how another person will ultimately think about us. There's something that we want And we have to manipulate other people to think it or believe it because if we do, then we've succeeded, right, to change their view of something, to change their view of us, to change their view view of life to align with our view of life because then I feel accomplished and accepted. I feel validated. I need that validation. You see that? It's all connected. It's all tied together. And so this is the end of jealousy, the end of snobbiness. Blessed, Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. God's power resides in you. God's kingliness passes into you. That's not going to make you proud and arrogant. That's going to make you humble and yet bold. You're going to have a a new humility because you didn't deserve it. You're going to have a tremendous boldness because... God himself loves you, accepts you. That's kingliness. It's going to make you winsome. How do you practice this? Some very quick things as we wrap up. One, Mary, what does she do? She took it in. You've got to look at your spiritual journey. You've got to look at the birth of Christ. These are milestones. That's why we celebrate and observe Advent and Christmas. These are milestones. You've got to reflect on the gift of Jesus. You've got to take it in. You've got to treasure it. You've got to process it in the context of your current suffering. You know, Mary was suffering up until this point. Joseph was suffering. The, the shepherds were terrified. Everyone around Jesus is suffering. And yet, do you see anybody coming to Jesus and saying, oh, I finally made it. What do I get out of this? A lot of times, that's why we come to church. That's how we come to church. Now, I'm a pastor. That means people come to me asking for things all the time. All the time. What do I get out of being friends with you? What do I get by being a member here? What can I gain from this? Mary, she's just treasured. Shepherds, worshipped. Magi, worshipping. Joseph, Mary saying, it's worth it. It's worth it. Process it. That's what prayer is. That's what scripture is, you know, scripture reading, very important. That's what engaging in community is. Because what you're doing is you're processing this birth of Christ and what it means in your life as you live out your spiritual journey. Now, the second thing is when you're restless, when there's no peace in your life, I'm a very anxious person at heart. 
You know, I'm, I'm always worried about things. And so uh, I'm speaking to you and sharing, and this is, this should, if you're restless like me, if you're anxious like me, this should speak to us. The message of peace is very unique, right? When the angel said peace on earth, that message is very unique. Because what that means is that right now, you, when you're anxious, you and God are fighting over who's in control, who's Lord over your life. Essentially, you want his job. You're saying, you are not qualified, I'm qualified. That's essentially what you're saying. And what does that mean then when we adore Jesus today? That means that you're surrendering your control. He's king. Uh, You're surrendering your ego. You're surrendering, you're receiving what God says about you, that you are sinful, and you're surrendering what God has done for you. He is gracious. We receive that. We obey. That's what it means. You got to cut out the comparisons, cut out the jealousy, cut out the stop fighting. Stop fighting for people's love. Stop fighting uh, to earn. Stop trying so hard. Stop fighting for attention. The war is over. And God's favor, the only attention that you need is resting on his people. Man, that will bring joy. Lastly, the shepherds, they got the truth. They got the presence. You know, they got the Shekinah glory of God. And they came and they trekked over to Mary and Joseph. And it says that Mary listened. That's what it says. Mary treasured it. You know what that means? I mean, these are very different social ranges coming together. You know, we, had, we three kings from Orient are, right? We had kings coming, wise men, shepherds, married, religious people, irreligious people coming together. And they're all observing and witnessing this incredible thing that God has done in the world. And if all those people can come together, then surely our social range can expand. The gospel should be able to trans- transcend racial barriers, The gospel should be able to transcend socioeconomic barriers. The gospel should be able to transcend cultural barriers. The gospel should be able to transform and transcend our view of greatness and status and glory so that we can then come down and be relatable to all people. What is your language? You know, it's a lot of times we like to speak into one another, right? We we do that often. We need to do that, friends. If you're a friend, you're doing that now. You have to be. That will be so much more weighty if you're singing, if you have a song, if you get it. That's what it means to get it. Is there joy? Is your joy palpable? Is your, in the midst of suffering, is your song audible in the midst of your challenges in life? That should expand your range. That's it. That's the shortest sermon you've ever heard uh, from me. Probably, right? Um, It should be like this all the time. Um, Christmas means joy because there's peace, because you have access, because you have God's presence, his glory, because the Savior, because the King has come in a manger. And... That means that we can worship him as we do. That means 
we can adore him together as we do. Let's celebrate with gifts these next couple days. Let's celebrate and remember and adore this Savior King who has come. Let's pray together.